0: at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Acts chapter number 20, and we're reading verse 1 through verse number 11. And uh, let's grab a hold of what God's going to teach us in His Word today. This is a narrative, it's a true story, it's an account, it's not a fairy tale, something that God has given to us. And so let's read together as it is from the Lord. After and after the uproar was ceased there in Ephesus, Paul. Called unto him the disciples, and embraced them, and departed for to go into Macedonia. I want you just to uh, note there that with that word embrace, just the family feel of of the church body, and as we call ourselves a church family, uh, God calls us the family of God. Just understand that that that's something that we see right in the early church. This family, this family feel, and that's so very important. We are a family, and sometimes even as a Uh, a, a believer sometimes you're closer to your church family than to your own family and uh and so we see here that embrace verse number two and when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation he came into greece and there abode three months and when the jews uh laid wait for him as he was about to sail into syria syria's over by jerusalem and antioch his home his home area he purposed to return through Macedonia, and there accompanied him into Asia. Uh, Sopater of Berea, and of Thessala, uh, uh, the Thessalonians Aristarchus and Synkundus, and uh, Gaius of Derby and Timotheus, he was from Lystra, and of the eight of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us. Notice us at Troas. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came into, unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight." And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. Now, this is a perfect uh, verse for after adventure camp week, especially with some of us, uh, some of the workers. And you might be feeling that today. At least you're not sitting in an upper window. And uh, as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft, the third story, and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again, and had broken bread, and eaten, and talked long while, even till break of day, so he, Paul, departed and they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted, as Luke uh, is the master of understatement, and we're not a little comforted. In other words, they were shouting for joy. They were very happy for the life of Eutychus being restored. And so let's pray and ask God's blessing on his word. Father, again, thank you for this narrative that you've given us. Help us to understand it as it would apply to our times. Help us understand it, how it applied in that time. And Lord, we're just grateful for the fact that you're still working through your uh, church and this church family, how you've worked in the past week, and we're grateful for that. Lord, we long for uh, greater things ahead. You said that uh, abiding in you would allow us to see greater works and greater works than even uh, you saw here. While you were walking on earth, because of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life, we ask for those greater works. We ask for fruit that remains. We ask for those that receive Christ this week that you would allow us to uh, to disciple them and encourage them in the faith and that they would be rooted and built up in Jesus Christ. And so we ask that you would minister to our hearts this morning, and we give you praise for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So uh, Paul is coming out of Ephesus, and uh, it's just been a fantastic time there as uh, the Lord worked there in the city of Ephesus, a pagan city. Uh, he met there just briefly on his second missionary journey as he was going on to uh, Jerusalem, but was not able to sm- spend much time there, promised to come back. And he beelined it for Ephesus in his third missionary tour. And he gets there and begins to preach the word of the Lord. And it's amazing things that began to happen there in Ephesus as he preached God's word. And we found that Christ's word really works. And it has all power to change lives and to to direct a a pagan culture towards him. Now, not everyone in the city received Jesus Christ. There was quite an uproar and those that opposed him. But there were many in the city of different nationalities that joined joined, uh joined into God's family by faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, the believers there that that believed in Christ and allowed Christ to begin changing their lives, why we don't change our lives to come to Christ. We allow Christ to change our lives and, and that's evident there. They allowed the word to begin working in their Their hearts and it changed them so drastically that they began to put off the old man and they burned their curious arts They burned the 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 trappings and the habits of the old life literally burned them uh, Even to their own cost the Bible says it uh, it was it was uh, about the amount of $10,000 that they put in a bonfire and just burned because they were making a clean separation from the old life and so their change began to uh, impact the idol industry so these believers weren't buying idols anymore. Uh, these these uh, idols of Artemis and, and Diana, they weren't buying those anymore. And it changed the, the, the amount of people that were going up to worship at the temple of, of Diana and the temple of, of Artemis. They weren't going up there and taking part in the pagan practices anymore. And it, and it changed the local officials. The local officials had an affinity towards Paul and, and they, were, they, um, they were willing to be his friend and willing to stand up for him. So much change happening in the culture there in Ephesus. I I just want us to remember the fact that God's word really was changing that culture as the believers. We're saying yes to Jesus Christ and allowing them to change their personal lives. God began to change that culture and really Grab a hold, or grab a hold of that city in a very very powerful way And you would think that as 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 God was doing this that Paul would stay there and just kind of settle in and and work The city and continue to minister there But no God laid it upon his heart that he would move on and continue the work in other places There was a church that was formed there in Ephesus and was beginning to function and they were beginning to reach out And the disciples were encouraging other disciples and Paul was going to move on and do the same in other cities and so Paul in this passage of Scripture after this uproar basically uh, the the business sector the idol the idol guild uh, the, uh, the idol union got up mad and caused an uproar in the theater, the 24,000 seats theater right there in the middle of Ephesus. And after the city officials quieted them all down and said, hey, listen, if you're going to have this type of uproar, you need to take it to, uh, to a court of law and you need to deal with it there. Uh, if you have something against Paul, let, him, uh, let it be dealt with in a court of law. And he dismissed the uproar, he dismissed the riot, and they all went home and Paul says, you know, it's now time that I go on. So that's where we are in Acts chapter number 20. Paul is purposely determining, I'm going to go up into Macedonia, and I'm going to continue on the work there. I'm going to continue there. Now, on the second missionary journey, Paul had journeyed through Macedonia. And he had, give me that map again, guys, if you would. Uh, He had journeyed through Macedonia, which is up there where Philippi is, Thessalonica and Berea and so on. He had journeyed up there, and he had planted those churches. Remember Acts chapter 16 in Philippi? He was put in jail. And then, uh, and then they sang, uh, he and Silas sang praises to God in jail at midnight, and the Philippian jailer gets saved. He asks a wonderful question, what must I do to be saved? Paul answers, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Amen? And so he did, and, and his house came to Christ. It was pretty amazing. So all this is happening. He's planted those churches. Now Paul's going to go back up through that area. And he's going to check on those believers and check on those, those small local assemblies. And he's going to disciple or continue to encourage them to follow after Jesus Christ. That's where we are in Acts chapter 20. Paul is going to continue on this missions tour up into Macedonia and back on down to Corinth. And so I want us really to grab a hold of this. A dominating theme of this passage, um, passage of scripture today is really the work of discipleship. Paul's desire to not just see someone and accept Jesus Christ and let them be, but his desire to continue to work with them and help them along in their faith and and help them to be rooted in their faith. Now let's remember what a disciple means. Uh, you can be a disciple of math or a disciple of a certain uh, a certain uh, professor, someone that, that in life that 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 has knowledge and you're a disciple of them. And in that sense, it's kind of a student or a follower, but. It, In terms of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's not just a casual student, a a casual learner of Jesus Christ. It really has the idea of being a committed follower of Jesus Christ, being willing to forsake everything and follow him. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 14 and verse number 33 So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. You know, this world is constantly vying for our attention and it's constantly vying for us to uh, inviting us to follow different um, things and different people, different ideologies, different persuasions. But Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, I'm calling on you. I'm urging you to be willing to give up absolutely everything to follow me. Following Jesus means setting aside things that may be our preference and setting aside maybe our dreams and saying, I will abandon all of this for you. And that's what Jesus requires. We live in a day that uh, we, uh, you kind of hear popularly uh, taught that you can have Jesus and have your life too. The disciple life um, that is portrayed in the Bible, that is taught to us in the Bible is, listen, you forsake everything and follow Jesus Christ. We don't understand that so much here in America because we haven't had to count the cost for being a Christian. But there are many who, in this world, to simply declare that they're following Jesus Christ is a death sentence. It means certain persecution. And friends, I call on us as American Christians, we need to get back to biblical definition, which is we forsake all and we follow him. We're willing to give up all. Are we willing to give up the American dream for Jesus? We ought to be. If we're going to be a disciple, we must be willing to give up the American dream. We must be willing to give up the creature comforts of life. We must be willing to give up everything and follow him. Jesus was the one that says, whosoever he be that forsaketh not all that he hath. He cannot be my disciple. I wonder how many times we throw around the word disciple, while oh, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ as American Christians, and yet we're not truly disciples when it comes to the Bible because we're not willing to give it up. We're not willing to give up our convenience. We're not willing to give up everything for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is going to go back and deal with these new believers. He's going to help them be rooted and grounded. He's going to help them be more like Jesus Christ through the Word. And so I want you to notice, as we learned last time we were together, that Paul had a commitment to discipleship and evangelism. But let's notice and specifically notice his commitment to discipleship. Notice here in verse number 2, Verse number one and two, he says, Paul called together the disciples unto them, he embraced them, and he departed to Macedonia. Uh, Paul's commitment was, first of all, to the new believers in these different places. He was not just content that he had some salvation numbers, but he was committed to those disciples there. And In verse number one, if you notice the word go, it really has the the idea of Paul was not just looking for the next place to, to, to hang out. The next thrill, uh, the thrill stop, he, he wasn't just looking for another place to go. Well, I just got to be on my way, so I'm going I'm go to go uh, up into Macedonia. He wasn't just looking for somewhere to go. The idea of the word go is he intended to go there for a purpose. And so Paul was seeking out uh, to, uh, to go up into Macedonia on purpose to fulfill a mission. And as I've already mentioned, he planted those churches up there. There was new believers up there that needed to be grounded in the faith. And so Paul was going up there for a purpose. May I remind us, Matthew 28 and verse number 19 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. The word go means to arise and get up out of your place and go to another place. But that word teach has the idea to make disciples god has commanded us in this final commission that jesus gave us before going back to heaven he says i want you to go and i want you to make disciples he is not telling us go and just simply souls to jesus christ go and get salvation professions i want you to go and make disciples one of the reasons our purpose statement as a church is to is to engage in the complete fulfillment of the great commission of christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. One of the reasons we say the complete fulfillment is because the complete fulfillment is not just winning them to Christ, but also seeing them discipled. We need the Lord's help with that. There's new believers right here in this auditorium. You need, you need to go further in your faith, and I encourage you in that matter. You need to allow discipleship to happen. You need to allow others that are further on in the faith to impart into you the wonderful truths and the doctrines of the Word of God so that you may be grounded. But we also have a duty to you as new believers or believers that still need to be taught We have a duty to teach you the Word of God. Some of that happens here through the pulpit ministry, but it also happens in the life of the church as we are together and studying the Word of God together and going on -on one-on-one discipleship and so on. Go ye therefore and teach, make disciples. Now I want us to realize something. Paul personally was a disciple. Paul knew what it was to be a learner or a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Do you remember on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter number 9? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Go into the into the city, go into Damascus. Yes, sir, Lord, I'll go there. And all the way along the line, we've seen Paul obeying the Lord, taking the next step that the Lord gave. What is it? Paul followed the Lord wherever he wanted to go. Hey, I want to go preach in Asia. Nope, don't go preach there. Uh, I want to go preach over in Virginia. Nope, don't go preach there. I want you to go to Macedonia. Yes, sir, Lord, I'll go to Macedonia. Pretty amazing. Paul, just one step after another, just obeyed the Lord. A.W. Tozer said, only a disciple can make disciples. Only a disciple can make disciples. One of the reasons we struggle with discipleship in churches like ours is because we personally have struggled to be disciples. We personally have struggled to be committed followers of Jesus Christ. Friends, let me just make it really bottom shelf for us, myself included. Anytime that we say no to Jesus and the prompting of the Holy Spirit, we are not being a disciple. A disciple is a committed follower of Jesus Christ. A committed follower of Jesus Christ says, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Whatever you say, Lord, whatever you want of me, I will do. Paul had a pattern of not just preaching the gospel, but wanting to disciple people and help them be the disciple that he longed to be. He longed to know Christ, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. He longed to know Christ deeply and intimately as a disciple, and that was his pattern. I want to help others. He didn't just win them and leave them. He wanted to help them and nourish them in the faith. We find in Galatians, uh, uh, and Galatia was just not far from Ephesus. We find in Uh, The book of Galatians that Paul says my little children of whom I travail in birth until Christ be formed in you Until Christ be formed until he be developed in you. What's Paul saying? I've worked. I've struggled. I've strived I've labored tirelessly to help Christ be formed in you to teach you the word and to, to communicate and to answer your questions I've I it's been my decision to do this in your life Paul discipled sons in the faith like Timothy and Titus and helped them to grow and encouraged them in what to do. In 1 Timothy 1 in verse number 3, he encourages Timothy, hey, I'm leaving you in Ephesus to teach them. And he writes to Timothy, here's what you need to be telling them and here's how you need to be doing it and constantly discipling. This is a commitment that we must have as well. Paul was committed to new believers. We must have that same commitment. So often we hear, well, they came to Christ and professed salvation, but they didn't show up at church, and so they must not be really saved. That is is a, a neglectful statement. The duty of us as believers to help people along and to encourage them in the faith, not just sit back and expect them to do what they've never been taught to do, is very, very important. We need discipleship. We need that commitment right here at Grace Baptist Church. We need that in our hearts. We need that culture. And I think about the children who came to Christ just this week. I love looking down the hall and seeing the kids uh, talking to counselors and uh, just that, that, that simple faith of going back and asking questions. And so many of the kids came back with great questions this week. But you know the questions don't stop just because they received Jesus Christ. There's much prayer. Uh, I am incredibly grateful for you that that, uh, prayed earnestly throughout the week, and especially you that were on the prayer band throughout the week and just uh, taking prayer requests and taking them to the throne of God. We need to continue to pray for every one of the children that received Jesus Christ. Why? We need to be committed to those children. And I'm thankful for every one of you that work in children's ministry here at the church. Just remember, we need to be like Paul and be committed to them. It's not just enough to, to have a piece of paper that says they received Christ on such and such a day. We need to be committed to them and committed all the way through. And how many times have you met a person that says, well, way back some, uh, some years ago, I got saved in, in, a, in a VBS, and I got saved as a child, and they, they weren't brought along. And certainly there's personal choice on, on that matter, but how we need to be committed and praying investing in them and seeking to help them. And really, much of what happens on Wednesday night here, both in the children and in the teen ministry, is nothing more than the work of discipleship. What is writing out verses? Nothing more than the work of discipleship. We want to do that in the children. We also want that to be happening in our uh, in our adults. And there has to be that culture of discipleship, that commitment to new believers. And we pray for God's help in that matter. And frankly, as a church, we need to take step steps forward in this matter. And I uh, I trust that you'll pray that the Lord will help us in that way. So Paul was committed to the new believers, but there was a a further commitment as he went along. I want you to notice as he went up into Macedonia, what did he do? There was a commitment to God's word as well. There was a commitment to God's word. And what does this have to do with discipleship? Jesus said it best when he said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. You cannot have true discipleship without a commitment to the word of God. You cannot have true discipleship without there being a constant diet of the word of God. And so notice in verse number two, he said, and when he went over those parts, what, what is those parts, those cities that he had already planted churches in, when he went over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he had given them much exhortation. He came into Greece, and that's down, getting closer to, to Corinth and Achaia. So he, he had gone over those parts. He had thoroughly went back to those, those churches that had been planted, and he, he, along the way, there's special meetings that are going on. Not all the meetings happened on Sunday, no doubt, but he's going along, and he's giving special meetings, and, and the idea of given is that he's exhorting earnestly and expecting a response. He wasn't just teaching them and giving them knowledge for knowledge's sake. That's what happens inside of a classroom. Paul was preaching the word of God and he was exhorting and encouraging with the word of God and expecting that there would be a response to the word. What does James tell us? Don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. The doer is the one that's blessed in his deed. The the one that just hears the word and, and doesn't do anything about it, he's deceived. God wants us to be a doer of the word, and true discipleship comes down to when we respond to the word and we say yes to Jesus, and, and that's what Paul's doing. He's not just, just throwing out facts. He's, he's giving them truth and expecting that they would respond. Even in discipleship as you would go through uh, continued discipleship here and you go through those 14 lessons and you, you learn of the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ and you learn of the Holy Spirit and you learn of the local church and you learn about uh, what God expects in our finances and how he wants us to order those things and you learn about your part in serving in the local church. God expects a response. He doesn't want us just to learn, well, I know that. How many times as individuals have we heard things from God's word but have not responded to it? Paul is preaching and teaching and encouraging, expecting a response, wanting to help them take the next step, take the next right step. So Paul didn't just give them words of men. He didn't just give them the traditions of men. We always did this back in Jerusalem, so this is what you ought to do. No, he exhorted them with the word of God. I want you to turn over to 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 7 with me. Why don't you turn over there, and I want to keep you engaged this morning. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 7. Are you all with me? All right, one is with me. I'm very aware. I'm preaching after adventure camp, okay? And, uh, and I, I feel that this morning. So are you all with me still? Okay, thank you. And help me out this morning. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 7. Now remember, Thessalonians or Thessalonica is up in Macedonia. So he's writing to these believers up there, and he's giving an account. I love when you're able to piece the New Testament together. And so what's happening up there in, uh, in this mission's journey, Paul is writing to these people. And so I want us to catch the, the, the flavor and the feel of, this, of these verses. Sec, 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 7. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. I like the sound of that. So, let me ask you a question. As Paul gave them much exhortation, did he, did he just bash them? You're still holding on to this, this uh, you know, habit of the old life. Did he bash them? No. He spoke the truth in love. He encouraged them. He helped them. Did he stand by the truth? Yes. Because truth is God's truth. We don't have the right to change it. He stood by the truth. He exhorted them. He expected a response. But he says here, listen Thessalonians, we were gentle among you just like a nurse cares for a a child. We, We were gentle in that way. So being affectionately desirous of you, we are willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but our own souls because you are dear unto us. What's he saying? We were willing to sacrifice for you. We were willing to give of ourselves for you. The word give in Acts chapter number 20 is the idea of exhort, like I've said, as Paul preached the word of God and was committed to the word of God, there was a sense he was imparting his own soul. He was was giving them what they needed in order to grow. Verse number nine. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and, what's the word? Travail. For laboring night and day for laboring night and day uh, does that sound familiar all laboring night and day Uh, some of you did that during this week and you and you got a little less sleep laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you we preached unto you the gospel of God Ye are witnesses and God also how holy and justly and unblamably we have behaved ourselves among you that believed. We, we set the pattern for you. We showed you how you ought to walk. We lived a life that pleased God. We lived as disciples among you. And as you know, verse 11, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory for this cause. Also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which he heard of us, he received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. So Paul's relaying this account of going back up there, and he's saying, listen, we worked with you really gently. We exhorted you. We encouraged you. We treated you like our children. We loved on you. We told you the word of God. And you received it. Boy, I just thank God about this. You received it not as a word of man. You received it as the very words of God and you allowed it to change your life. Wow. That's what Paul was after. And this is the work of discipleship through the life of the apostle Paul and those that were with him. The goal of discipleship is Christ-likeness. The goal of discipleship is Christlikeness. Say that out loud with me. The goal of discipleship is Christlikeness. One more time, louder. The goal of discipleship is Christlikeness. And that can only happen by use of the Word of God. This is the incarnate Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There is no way to be Christlike without a steady diet of the word of God without the preaching of the word of God without the meditating of the word of God and the memorizing of the word of God and allowing it to change our lives so Paul says when he was in Troas in Macedonia writing to the Corinthians 2nd Corinthians 318 but we all with open face behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the spirit god what's he saying as you look into the word of god and as you see uh, what jesus is and who he is and how he acts and responds and thinks it changes you it changes you you're changed by the spirit of god what a great thing paul was committed to new believers but he brought the word of god to them he brought them the word of god what is the best thing that you can do for a new believer have them over to your house and talk about sports no having them over to your house is a great thing showing hospitality is a great thing but getting down to the Word of God. Let me just challenge you as we, as we touch on that subject. When you do show hospitality to one another, do have a time where, boy, you just give some time to praise God. Uh, it doesn't have to be formal. It should flow out of our lives. But it ought to be okay for us to communicate the truth of God's Word. This is what God's teaching me right now. And I praise Him for it, and let's praise Him together before we eat. And, and, and bring God into every part of every gathering. and we, uh, That's not legalism right there. That's what ought to flow out of Christian lives. I want you to notice in Acts chapter number 11, Barnabas discipled the new believers in Antioch, so much so that they became known as little Christs. Chapter 11 and verse 23, who when he came he had seen the grace of God and was glad and he exhorted just like Paul did them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the lord there's a perfect discipleship verse verse number 26 the disciples were called christians first in antioch so barnabas's ministry to exhort them so helped them change to become more like christ that the culture the culture dubbed them as christians first there and Christian simply means little Christ. They looked at, oh, look at all those little Christians that, that are going about. And, and that was the work of discipleship through the commitment to the word of God. Giving them the word, exhorting them with the word. Oh, how we need to remember that true discipleship must have the word of God. Must have a steady diet of the word of God. And that's why it's so important, even as if you're a new believer here today, that you would give yourself uh, to allowing yourself to go through the, the discipleship here at Grace Baptist to continue and allowing the Word of God to affect your life, and being in the services and allowing the Word of God to affect, affect your life and being in the Word and reading it personally, how important the Word of God is. Notice in verse number 4 that Paul goes on, and he noticed, uh, he notes for us that there are some guys that are going to be accompanying him on this, this missions tour up in this area. And he has the company of disciples here. They were with Paul. Notice in verse number 4, and they're accompanying him into Asia, Sopater, and we read through those names. There are seven different guys that accompanied him. Now, that's very interesting that, that the Lord would want us to know about these seven men by name and where they, um, they came from. God doesn't do anything by accident. We believe the Bible. We believe it is the infallible word of God. We believe it from cover to cover. We believe everything inside of it. And as he writes this down for us, we know that the Lord has a a specific purpose in giving us this account. And so we have these disciples that were traveling, traveling along with the Apostle Paul on this missions tour. And they're going from city to city with him. And as they do, I want us just to notice where they all came from, because these are the fruit of Paul's labor, and these are the fruit of Paul's discipleship ministry. As they, as they labor along with him, it just didn't happen overnight that these guys decided, you know what, I'm going to take, take a journey with the Apostle Paul. I'm going to set aside my, my schedule. I'm going to set aside my work. I'm going to go with the Apostle Paul, and I'm going to journey with him. This didn't happen overnight. This happened on purpose as Paul discipled them. Show, uh, show the map here for a moment of the, where the guys came from. And if you can see that, uh, where these guys came from, some, uh, up in Macedonia, Thessalonica, Berea. The Bereans were um, great students of the word of God. We have down over in Asia, over by Antioch there that Gaius, uh, uh, not Gaius, but uh, Tychicus and Trophimus come, um, come from, Gaius and Timotheus over there in, in the area of Iconium and Lystra and so on. So these guys are fruit of Paul's labor. And they're now journeying with them. I wanted to say that, that, that preachers and Christian ministers do not necessarily come from magical Bible colleges somewhere in other states that produce... produce preachers for churches like ours it happens they're grown up in church one of the reasons i believe in bible colleges that are based in local churches because that's exactly the new testament pattern if there's going to be a a place of training it's happening inside the local church not a parachurch organization that somehow is a preacher factory but a, a place where they're being raised up in the local church. And friends, right here, God is doing that. I think of our own brother Grant, who's expressed his call on Call to Preach. I think of brother Caleb. I think of the guys that God's allowed us on um, be here as interns. It is in the local church that, it is, um, that preachers are being raised up. And so in all these different local churches, not necessarily 30 years old, these were young local churches that out of them were coming these disciples now that we're traveling around with the apostle Paul and God thinks so much of it that he lists them out by name and where they're from. I think that's pretty important. And I think that we need to pray earnestly that out of our teen group and out of our children's group that God will continue to raise up preachers and evangelists and missionaries that will go to the field. We cannot lose a generation We must seek the Lord for this. And it all happens by discipleship. Why is it so important that we do an adventure camp? Why is it so important that we have children's and teens' ministry and and we're driving them into the Word of God? Why is that so important? This is how how it happens. Timothy, Timotheus, was a young man in a small local church that had been planted by Paul, and he grew up, how, just by Paul's constant effort there? No, Paul came back and found him there. He was being discipled and raised up. As Paul influenced that church, they were discipling one another. It's such a grand and glorious thing that I see here. This was the practice of Paul, is to encourage the discipleship and encourage uh, those uh, uh, that were going on in the faith or had believed in Jesus Christ and to carry them along with him. He did this with Timothy, he did it with Titus, and here he's doing it with these seven different men. And you know what was the practice of the Lord Jesus Christ? In Matthew, uh, Mark 16, verse number 20, the Bible says that he worked with his disciples. He worked with him. He sent them on journeys, but he worked with them. And that's still the practice of the Holy Spirit today. Aren't you thankful for the end of Matthew 28 and verse number 20? And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. He is still working with us. And you know the Holy Spirit's the greatest discipler. Praise the Lord for that. I'm grateful for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I have a question for us all, and especially for the dads here today. Paul here has seven guys that are with him, that accompanied him in the ministry. Seven guys. Seven guys. And my question to us today is, who is with you? Who is with you? If you on your sheet of paper there could write down a few names, who is with you? Who is your disciple? Who are the names that you're carrying around in your Christian journey, that you're leading in the Christian journey, that that you're sharing your personal walk of faith with? Who are the people in your life that are accompanying you on your journey Towards Jesus Christ and in your service with him. Is it your children, dads? It ought to be. That's my prayer. Even as I, as I looked at this, I, just, I found conviction, even with that thought. Who's with me? I want my kids with me. Are you with me, dads? Are you still here today? You leave me all up here alone? Are they with you? Paul had these seven guys with them. Uh, Statistics say that when a dad comes to Christ first, 93% of the family will follow. uh, 93% uh, of families will follow when their dad is is first. Mom, it comes way down to about 17%. And if the children are the first to receive Christ in the family, it's about 3.5% of the rest of the family that comes along. And friends, that statistic right there ought to cause you to pray fervently for the children that came to Christ this week. Because we need to get we need to see the Lord work a wonderful work in their families and especially their dads. Dads, don't think your, your role in the home is minuscule. The reason that we're seeing what we're seeing in America, the fabric of our society pulled apart is because of the fatherlessness and the absent dads, the absentee, passive dads, and a lot of that, we, we've seen that played out on the, the movie screens for years. Just uh, you know, ridicule the dad, push him down, you know, don't be involved, just stand back, Friends, how you need to take the charge and you need to stand up. Who is with you, Dad? Who is with you? Are your children with you? Well, they're grown and gone. Are you still seeking to disciple them? I asked a moment ago, do you ever stop being a father? No. The work of discipleship goes on. Well, they don't always listen to me. Well, neither do the disciples always listen to Jesus. But the work still goes on. You seek that. Well, I didn't always do everything right. Who has? Don't let Satan beat you up like that. Are you doing right today by the grace of God? Continue to seek to disciple them. Who is with you? The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 7 that it's a dad's responsibility to teach the word of God to his family. When you're rising up, when you're, eating uh, breakfast and lunch and supper and when you're walking in the way or driving in the car or the chariot or on the donkey or whatever it was at that day and when you're going to bed teach them along the way The Bible says in Ephesians 6 and verse number 4 and ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord we're to teach them, Where to bring them along, and so I ask, who is with you? Are your children with you on this Father's Day? Are your children with you? Will you seek to bring them along, like Paul did these new believers? But I also ask us as a church family, older men, the 50 and up from Titus chapter number three, uh, is there a younger man with you? Is there a younger man in this church that is with you on your your discipleship journey? Are you as a disciple bringing another disciple along? Older women, or as we like to say, the mature women, 50 and older, right? Not old. You're not old. You're just mature, right? Uh, Is there a younger woman with you? The older women are the teacher, younger women. And can I just add this? Young men and younger women, that's 50 and below, all right? There needs to be a spirit of grace to receive the teaching. There needs to be a desire. How many of the younger women or younger men have said, hey, would you teach me? And would you show me? And, and, and even given the permission, if you ever see anything in my life that is kind of out of sorts with Christ or out of sorts with Christianity, I give you permission to come and talk to me and, and, and speak the truth and love into my life. And there ought to be this pattern of discipleship all across the church. Who is with you? Teenager is there a young child with you now oh, they just annoy me no if you're saved and you're following jesus christ you ought to think those little children they're not an annoyance there's someone i can help along there's someone i can help on to christ and god can use every teenager in this room and every person in this room to help someone come along who's accompanying you on the journey god told us about seven men that were accompanying paul but they were also in preparation. Notice in verses 5 and 6, they went ahead to Troas. So, where we, Paul, let me just catch us up for a moment. Paul went up from Ephesus. Give us the map again. He went up from Ephesus. He uh, uh, traveled from Troas into Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. He went down into Greece. He exhorted all the brethren there. He went down into uh, Achaia or Corinth and, and exhorted the brethren there. Then the yellow on the yellow path, he travels back up through those areas. Why? Because the Jews were plotting against his life. It seems as if they were going to assassinate him on, on his voyage back to Jerusalem. And so he gets wind of this. God's not done with you until he's done with you. God will protect you. And he did Paul. So he gets wind of this. He travels back up through that and he goes up to Philippi, he hangs out there for a little bit, and sends these seven men across, and on a 150-mile journey uh, by boat down into Troas, and they wait there for the Apostle Paul. What's going on? These men were traveling along, some of it, they were doing front work for the Apostle Paul, but also, just like this week, uh, you have children stand up and need to be counseled, Did Paul do all the counseling? Did Paul uh, answer all the questions? No, there were people that were uh, seeking to help out and be alongside and answer questions. This is how you're, uh, you can be saved. And they were working with the Apostle Paul in the ministry. And so they're over there in Troas waiting for the Apostle Paul. And I, I just understand this, that they made the personal choice. We're going to go there. We're going to take this assignment from the Apostle Paul. And much of discipleship and growing and preparing for greater usefulness in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is by taking on responsibility. Uh, there is so much more that can be that can be caught than taught sometimes. And these guys were in on-the-job training. They were working with the Apostle Paul, going on an assignment. This was a part of their their preparation. I think of Joshua uh, ministering to Moses. And and we often find that term with Joshua that he was Moses' minister. What did he do? He just kind of tagged along And served alongside of Moses. And when the time was right, God put him into that place. And when the time was right, God magnified him before the children of Israel. And he became the leader of the children of Israel. But where did he learn all that? By tagging along with Moses. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 10, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Where did he learn that? Along this journey. And other journeys. second Timothy 3 and verse 14, he tells Timothy, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. Paul told the Philippian believers, Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. Well, it was a part of their training. He had trained them, he allowed them a company, and now he's sending them out on a mission. Hey, go over to Troas. Uh, work with the people there, scout out the land, see what God's doing over there, answer questions, be a part of the, um, the church there, and I will come in time. And really, I find this, this question to be quite relevant today. Are you willing to be prepared for greater usefulness in the Lord's ministry? Would you be willing to be like one of these seven guys that says, yeah, I'll travel 150 miles away and I'll take on that mission trip. I'll go up to Dearborn, Michigan and I'll be a part of going up there and even if pastor's not there, I'll be up there and I'll be passing out and I'll, I'll be a part of the work of the ministry and I'll go over to maybe uh, over across the state and help build a platform. I'll go and work with that church planner. I'll go to Grenada. Yes, I want to be right there and I want to be uh, training on the job For greater ministry and greater usefulness for the Lord Jesus Christ I have an idea that these men did not uh, did not grumble about this they just took on this on this this ministry with joy and they went over there to Troas and they were being prepared for greater ministry and how much it must have shouldered off the Apostle Paul to have these men traveling along with them he wasn't doing it all along Paul was weak in stature he said he wasn't, I mean, he struggled a lot, but he had these men along with him. Let's notice one last thing here, the congregation of the disciples in verse number seven. Notice how they sailed away from Philippi. They were delayed. I don't know if the winds were bad on the, on the, on the uh, sea, but they sailed. It took them five days to get over there, 150 miles on down to Troas, and they finally get there, and they wait seven days there in Troas. And why did they wait seven days? It'd seems that Paul wanted to meet with the believers on the Lord's Day and so we find the practice of assembling in verse number seven and they, um, they abode there seven days in verse number uh, uh, seven it says and on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread when the disciples came together to break bread God was working there in Troas it was a really amazing thing that God was doing in fact the Bible says in 2nd Corinthians 2 and verse 12 furthermore when I ca- came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel And a door was opened unto me of the Lord. God had not only saved people there, but there was a great door of uh, effectual that was opened to Paul and he ministered to them. Now he's meeting with them as a church family. They're gathered together. All the disciples, the committed followers of Christ are gathering together. They're gathering in a third story uh, upper room. And uh, by the way, in those days, uh, the windows were open. As we see here in this passage of scripture, there was no hiding what they were doing. It was very out in the open, and it was happening at night. Can you imagine just hearing the the singing and the preaching kind of filter out throughout town there in Troas? There was no hiding what they were doing. God was working in that place. The practice of the early church was they assembled together on Sunday. This is the first time we really see this this being shown as a pattern here later on in 1 Corinthians 16, verse number 2. But they assembled together on Sunday. They observed the Lord's table as well. Uh, And it seems also from the passage, there's two times it talks about the breaking of bread, that there was also a love feast, which was a a common thing. We know it as maybe a potluck. So they got together and they enjoyed uh, remembering the Lord's sacrifice through the Lord's table, which was not a means of grace. They observed the Lord's table, but then also they they, uh, fellowshiped together and enjoyed that together. We find that that was abused in Corinth. Uh, as they were kind of preferential towards one another. If you, have, if you brought food, you can have food. Just like I said a moment ago, we want you together, no matter whether you brought food. It's not, it, this is not a Corinthian love feast. This is this is a Grace Baptist love feast or potluck or picnic or whatever. We want to be together, and that's um, very, very important. So um, it, it was abused over there, but here in Troas, they were gathering together and really fellowshipping and remembering the Lord's, death until he came, uh, he would come. They were hungry for the preached word of God. Paul preached till midnight. That's a long time. You aren't all very enthused. <laughs> he preached, he, he communicated the word for a long time. I'm just imagining, it, it mentions it was an upper room, there were a lot of candles burning, the air was thick, wasn't the most wonderful environment for li- uh, listening to a speech. But he preached, and he was there, and they were there. And they didn't leave after the, the fallout. Uh, they stayed, and they continued to fellowship uh, through the night. And, and it's just amazing to me how these people were so hungry for the word, and, and true disciples are hungry for the word. They're hungry for the word. But they were not ashamed. Verse number 8, uh, the lights were, were there, and, and they were... There in that upper room, open windows, because Eutychus fell out, uh, and they were not ashamed of what they were doing there in that place. And I want to remind us that the assembly of the saints, like what we're doing today, is essential to discipleship. It's essential to discipleship. Why did Paul wait and meet with them on that day? Because it's essential to discipleship. It's essential to going forward. You will be a weak Christian without the assembly of the saints. Because I got no amen on that, I'm going to say that one more time and I'm going to give you another chance. You're going to be a weak Christian without the assembly of the saints. Amen. It's true. I'm not saying that as a, just because I pastor. I would be a weak person without the assembly. I need this. I need you. You need me. We all need each other. We need the assembly of the saints. God has designed it that way. D.L. Moody said this way, church attendance is as vital to a disciple as a transfusion of rich, healthy blood is to a sick man. We need this. God designed for us to gather together. He was the one that said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhort one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Why? We need the assembly of the saints. And so many times we try to compartmentalize our life. I want my church life and my non-church life. There isn't such thing in the Christian life. You've been added to the family of God. And this this revolutionizes that. That takes away the compartmentalization. Every part of our lives ought to be spiritual. Does it mean we always do things with our church family? We never do anything with our family? No, I'm not saying that. But don't compartmentalize your life. Well, my church will get 80%, and I'll give to the rest of my life 20%. Don't do that. This is your life. The body of Christ is your life. You're part of the body of Christ. You're a very privileged person. Praise the Lord for the body of Christ and we get to be together. And and the early church, Acts 2 and verse 46, they continued daily with one accord. And they did from house to house. They they couldn't get enough of each other and they were together and they're praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to them such as should be saved daily. People say I can worship God without going to church. It is true. You You can worship God. And worship is not just music. You can worship God and not be inside of a, a, a church meeting. That is true. But you cannot worship God and not love what God loves. You cannot worship God and not love what God loves. Jesus told us in Ephesians 5 and verse number 25, Husbands, help me out, guys. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I'll go a little bit further to say you cannot be a true disciple and despise the church and despise the assembly of the saints. This, what we are doing right now, is something that Christ gave himself for. He made possible for us, and to not love the gathering of the saints is not to worship Christ. He designed this. And so there was a pattern of assembly there, but there's also power in the assembly, and I'm just going to touch on this. It's pretty amazing. A guy falls out. The air was thick. This is just a really practical, um, practical part of life. He falls out. He falls asleep. We've all fallen asleep in a service before, right? We've all had someone nudge us like this. In the old days, they used to have feather, feather ticklers, right? they walk up, the, uh, up and down the aisles and, and wake people up. And, and, and so this is a real, just real practical part of, of life. Real humans here gathering together, not superhumans. And he falls asleep. And, and it's just like the Holy Spirit just just runs over this passage just so uh, without a whole lot of, uh, to do. This man was raised back from the dead after he fell three stories. And, and the church just goes on like seeing the power of God was just commonplace. It's really amazing to me. And the, the power that was demonstrated in this assembly, Eutychus' name, you might find this interesting, means fortunate, blessed. Yeah, he was a blessed individual, especially on this day as he's raised back to life. But what I cannot get over is these people come back up from this, the ground floor, seeing this guy raised, and they go on rejoicing and talking and eating and fellowshipping all through the night till break of day. And you know what I find here? Paul leaves on the next day. The Bible says on the next day he's he's departing from there. There was an urgency in Paul. There was a a heart tug in Paul towards these people, towards this assembly. There was something that wrapped him in. There was something that was like, once he was there, he didn't want to leave, and he was there till break of day. Uh, Let me just say Paul didn't get on a jetliner and be able to fall asleep on the way. I'll catch him sleep on the plane. No. There wasn't any sleep going on on the plane. Paul had journey to make, and journeys in those days were not as easy. They gave himself. They loved this assembly. We stay up for what we love. True? We stay up for what we love. And here Paul stays up, and these believers stay up just to carry on conversation with one another. They loved it. And you know what? God's still working miracles and his power is still being displayed in local assemblies just like ours. Every time a person comes to Jesus Christ, that's a miracle. Every time a carnal believer is revived... And see spiritual truth, that's a miracle, praise the Lord. These are miracles, powerful things that are going on in people's lives as the Holy Spirit works and illuminates His truth in our hearts every time God answers prayer. I don't know about you, my wife came to me the other night and she showed me that fact sheet that I I read from just a moment ago and she asked me the question, how big is God? Because so many of you prayed, and I don't know even where this whole hundred number came from and, and we don't typically set numbers, but God answered a prayer there, friends. That's just a real tangible a prayer that we prayed? Would you allow a hundred kids to come through our adventure camp this year? God answered a prayer. That's God. That's not us. Did you go out and, uh, you know, hog-tie the uh, hog? That's not the right word, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little sleep-deprived, and so uh, give me some grace there. Uh, but bring the kids in all, all on your own? No, God brought them in. God made connections. I talked to one mom that she says, I, I was just walking through the park and someone gave me a flyer. God did that. God made those connections, those divine appointments, and we see the power of God. And listen, it's amazing to be a part of something in which we can see God working. Boy, I'll tell you, that brings us together just like it did them. Let me just end with this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a preacher of years gone by in Nazi Germany, he said, discipleship never consists in this or that specific action. It always it is always a decision either for or against Jesus Christ. Either for or against Jesus Christ. And friends, when we look at this passage of Scripture, we see all these decisions among, with Paul, with those that were accompanied him, with the believers that were congregating there in Troas, for jesus christ we want christ we want to follow after him we want to be together we want to be with his body we want to be with his assembly we want to do the right thing in ephesus we want to burn our curious arts we want to make a clean separation from the world all this discipleship that's going on and it's an amazing thing and oh that it would be the same in 2022 here at grace baptist church in our assembly we need the same work of discipleship to continue on here and we need that same commitment and with that, we need to ask God's help. Because I don't know about you, this is way beyond us. We live in a day that is so distracting. And it's so, it just lures us away from Jesus. But I want to be, be a preacher, I want to be a person, I want to be a dad that is constantly making decisions for Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, yes. Not no, not another time, but yes. So let's just ask God before we leave today, Will we all just bow across this auditorium? And I don't know about you, I, I think every one of us needs to, to seek the Lord in that way. And so, I, I, again, just ask if you're physically able, why don't we just find our knees or sit there in our seat and seek the Lord in this way. Lord, I want to be a disciple like I've seen in the lives of Paul and those seven and those believers that met together all through the night there in Troas. I want to be a disciple. Lord, I say yes to you. There may be something, friend, that you've been really struggling with between you and the Lord. Maybe it's an old sin habit. Maybe it's a habit of your old life before you came to Jesus Christ. And you've told yourself, I can't get past this. There's no way. And Jesus keeps on prompting you and saying, yes, I'll help you. Yes, I'll help you. And you simply need to say yes to him. And stop saying no. Friend, that's discipleship. That's the disciple pathway. I will obey. I ask you this morning, is your commitment to being a disciple as well as making disciples something that can be seen and witnessed? In Paul's life, We see that he was a disciple. We can also see that he made disciples by bringing others along and encouraging them with the word. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.